Amen. Thank you, choir. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to the Gospel of John, John chapter 6. The Gospel of John chapter 6. And I don't do this very often, but I'm actually going to give you an out today, okay? There's a possibility you don't have to sit through this sermon and listen to this message, okay? And that is this. If there's anybody in this place that's never had a difficulty in their life or you do not anticipate some difficulty in your life, you can go ahead and leave. You can go ahead and just walk out. Now, let me say this to you, that when you walk out, we're going to have a prayer session for you. Because either you're lying or you're incredibly naive right now. And either way, we need to pray for you. Because you see, all of us face difficult moments in our lives. Everybody in this place, everybody today could stand and give some testimony of a difficulty that you have faced. And if you haven't, perhaps again you're naive and you just haven't recognized it, but I will say to you, at some point in your life, you will encounter some type of difficulty. John chapter 6. We see the disciples. I mean, they were in the process of seeing God provide. They had seen how God had fed the 5,000. What an incredible event. You can imagine the prayer session and the praise session that really took part after the feeding of the multitude. I'm sure the disciples must have come together and they must have begun to sing something like, Come thou fount of every blessing. They knew that God had provided and they were singing the praises. They must have thought about that. They must have saying something like one of my favorite hymns, to God be the glory for what he has done. I mean, they must have thought that. I mean, it was such an incredible opportunity to see God provide when it seemed like there was no provision, that God showed up, that Jesus Christ provided and he fed 5,000 plus people. But you know, right after those moments, how many times is it right after one of those spiritual highs that you face a spiritual challenge? I know about you, but I've been there several times where everything seemed to be going well. It was like the spiritual high and victory and excitement. And then before you know it, there was a challenge that came in my life. A few Wednesday nights ago, I told our, our group that for me, Monday mornings are very difficult. Monday mornings are terrible. I don't know why. Maybe it's just because it's Monday morning. But somehow it seems like that's the moment that I am the most vulnerable to Satan's attacks. Uh, Adrian Rogers said once, once upon a time that, you know, the Lord Jesus will return on a Monday morning. Why? Because the Bible says he will return in an hour when you think not. And that is Monday morning, at least for me, when I think not. It's a difficult time because I think Sundays are such spiritual highs for me to be able to come together and worship and celebrate. And then yet... The difficulty that comes, the challenges that will come often on Monday mornings or other times in life. You and I, I, we can talk about those times. The spiritual high followed by a great challenge. And I want you to see this in the passage. This is exactly what the disciples face. They have had this great moment on the mountain. They have seen the feeding of the 5,000 plus. And now they see the challenge of the storm. John chapter 6 beginning in verse 15. This is the way John 
relates the story to us. He says, Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat. And they were afraid. He said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Now basically what John says to us is this. That Jesus had had this great moment. And remember he had withdrawn. Uh, according to the other gospels. He had withdrawn to find rest. He had withdrawn from the crowds. And yet the crowd seemed to have found him. And they had come in the great multitude. And he had fed them. And all of those things had happened. But now he had hoped to withdraw again. To rest and spend time by himself. And he sends his disciples away. I want you to note three things today, three observations, maybe three takeaways for you as you leave this place. One, I want you to notice this, that Jesus is the one that sends his disciples into the storm. Jesus is the one who sends his disciples into the storm. It says here implicitly that he withdrew. There's a sense that he wanted to be alone. Implicitly, it is stated here that he sends the disciples away. Explicitly, in the Gospel of Matthew, in the Gospel of Mark, it says that he compelled them. He told them to go on. He is the one that sent his disciples into the storm. Now, when I realized that truth, it seemed so strange to me. I mean, why would Jesus purposely send his disciples into a storm? Doesn't that seem strange to you? I mean, would you agree with me that Jesus knew that there would be a storm? And yet he said to them, go on, get in the boat, go away. It seems so strange that Jesus would direct his disciples' path into the midst of a storm. But there are moments when Jesus will use a storm to teach his disciples and grow them in faith. Let me say this again to you. Everybody in this place has experienced some type of difficulty, or you will one day. You will experience some type of difficulty. Now, we accept that. We understand that, yes, we're living in this life and it's difficult. But sometimes, I think unintentionally or intentionally, we communicate to people that come into our churches and something like this. If you accept Jesus as your Savior, you'll never have another problem. If you come to Jesus, your life will be great. It'll be the best life you've ever had. You'll experience it right now. You've heard those kinds of gospels before? And let me say this to you. When we come and we accept Jesus, it does make a difference in our lives. It makes a difference in the way we view things and our perceptions. It makes a difference. But it never means that you are removed from the difficulty of this world. Never means that. 
And I'm afraid because we've presented such an unbiblical Jesus, that is the reason people come, think all their problems will go away, and they become disillusioned when a few weeks from that salvation, they still have some problems in their lives. You see, we have difficulties and we have problems. Even Christians, I would even say to you that we as believers might even have more because of facing an ungodly culture that we're living in. But we do know that Jesus Christ is directing our path and guiding us and leading us, and as we'll see, we'll be there with us. That's the difference that we see. But storms come even in believers' lives. And in this case, he sent his disciples into the storm. Now, I do want to say this as well. There are a lot of times we get ourselves into the storm. We sail our own ship into the storm because of a decision that we made. You've been there before? I was the one responsible. You were the one responsible. There are moments that come like that. But then there are moments, as we see here, where Jesus purposely directs our ship into a storm. I say purposely. Because Jesus does nothing outside of his purposeful will for our lives. In other words, if he is, if he is directing our ship into the storm, he has a purpose and he has a plan for us. And the purpose and the plan for the disciples at this case is that he is about to teach them faith. He's going to continue to do that. Isn't that what he's trying to do? Is he's trying to grow his disciples' faith? He's trying to grow them into his image? He's attempting to do that. And once again, he's going to do that. Notice, whether he's on the mountaintop or whether it's on the sea, Jesus can teach people and he can teach us specifically faith. And that's what he's about to do. He is about to inspire faith in his disciples. He's about to teach them once again the lesson of his adequacy and not their adequacy. Notice he had met their need on the mountain. He had fed the 5,000. But now on the sea, they are experiencing once again how inadequate they are. Imagine this with me. Jesus sends them into the boat. They go into the boat. They're getting across about halfway or so across. They, they just keep rowing. I mean, what a feeble sight this must be, right? I mean, they're at night, they're rowing and they're rowing and they're rowing. They're trying to get across, but they can't get across. The storm is there. It seems like everything in their own human effort has failed. They just keep trying and keep trying and keep trying. It's a picture of us and our own human inadequacy. How many times have we been in the midst of the storm and we just try to keep rowing huh we're the ones i mean we try to we try to extend all human effort to get through the storm let's just keep rowing and let's keep rowing it it says that they do this for quite a while when jesus comes it's like three to six in the morning it's between that watch when jesus comes so think how long that they've been trying to do this on their own think how long they've been trying to row and get across without jesus I think they're in the midst of trying to figure out what to do. I'm sure Peter looked over at Andrew and said, I told you that you ought to get that other motor. Mercury's always the best. Here we are, still rolling. What in the world were you thinking? 
I mean, you can imagine. I mean, they are just struggling. They are doing everything they can. And again, what a picture for us. A lot of us have been right in the midst of difficulty in our lives. And Jesus actually may have sent us into that difficulty. He will do that, grow our faith. Trials, those things in our lives, to grow our faith. Read the book of James, read chapter 1. He sends us into those moments, and what do we often do? We, we just grab an oar. We look at our spouse and we say, hey, you better be grabbing an oar too. We look at our children and say, grab an oar. We got to get through this. Just keep rowing. Keep rowing. And somehow we'll get through it, but it seems like you never make any headway. It seems like the wind of the storm continues to blow your boat back. Jesus sent them into the storm purposefully to teach a lesson, to teach faith, to teach his adequacy in their lives. And I'm going to say, they start at this point of recognizing how inadequate they really are. Jesus sent them into the storm, but write this down. Jesus was with them in the midst of the storm. Jesus sent them into the storm, but Jesus was also there in the midst of of the storm. Again, this miracle, if you will, is recorded also by Matthew and Mark. Each one give you each one gives you his own uh, view as the Holy Spirit worked in his life to record those writings. And when you look in the Gospel of Mark, you will see it says that as Jesus had withdrawn, as he was up there on the mountain, that as they were struggling across the sea that Jesus could see them, that he was watching them. find that interesting, don't you? At any moment, Jesus could have delivered them from the storm. At any moment, Jesus could have just removed the storm. But he sat there and he watched them. He was looking at them, watching their human inadequacy, demonstrated and displayed he was seeing reminds me too that when we go through our storms nothing escapes the watchful eye of christ when the storm comes in our life when the difficulties come let me assure you that jesus christ is watching but brother reggie there are days when i feel like He's not attentive to anything that's going on in my life. Dr. Reggie, there are days when it seems like he is so far removed that he can't even begin to comprehend what I am going through and how much I'm trying to row this boat on my own. No matter what you're feeling that day, let me just say to you, the truth is, Jesus Christ is watching you. And Jesus Christ knows every aspect of the storm. And Jesus Christ knows every aspect of your heart as you row, as, you, as you're trying on your... Jesus Christ knows. It says that he was watching them. And then, as you read John here, it says, as the storm really brews, Jesus comes. Notice... Again, in 
verse 16, it said, Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum, and it was already dark, and Jesus had not come. Get that. They, John says the darkness had come, but Jesus had not. That's the difficulty of life. When you see darkness and the storm, and you don't feel like Jesus has showed up yet. Darkness had come, Jesus had not. In verse 18, then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. It, it begins to really, the, really brew. The sea was violent. Uh, when, when you look at the original language, it, it is the same word here that describes the sea, that, the, that describes somebody being wakened suddenly, being like shaken. Some of you can relate to that, right? I, I'm kind of a sound sleeper. As a matter of fact, if there's anything else that I like to do rather than eat, it might be sleep. I love to sleep. Man, sound sleep. It takes something kind of rigorous to wake me up. Sometimes, it, sometimes it's hard because my children will come and try to wake me up during the night. You know how frightening it is to wake up and see your daughter standing right there by you? Standing there. Here, this is the same word that she used to describe the sea, that somehow violently it, it, was, it, it was working on the disciples. It was like it was shaking them out of a deep sleep. The sea was raging. It seemed like that nothing was going right. They couldn't get across. And then all of a sudden, in the midst of this scene, it says that Jesus comes. Verse 19, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. There was Jesus, because he wasn't only watching the storm, he was coming to them in the midst of their storm. And that's the Christ we serve, a Christ that watches us through the storm, but also a Christ that is willing to come to us in the midst of the storm. And thanks be to God for that. Thanks be to God that when I'm in the midst of my greatest difficulty in life, Jesus Christ is watching, and he's not only watching, but he's there. And he comes to them at the appropriate moment, at the appropriate time. He comes walking on the sea. They were scared. I bet they were. Can you imagine somewhere between 3 or 6 o'clock in the morning, you've been rowing all night, storm, sea, all kinds of stuff raging, and all of a sudden you see something? Walking on the water, the other Gospels say that they were concerned because they believed it to be a ghost or an apparition. But here, they recognize, they eventually recognize it's Jesus. Why would they not expect him to come? I mean, why were they not expecting Jesus Christ to come? Because, look, people don't walk on water. But that's what they thought. Why do we not expect Jesus to come in the midst of our storm? Well, he, he's so busy. He's got so many other things to attend to. I don't know about you, but my God is great enough to be there for me and be there for you at the same time. Jesus Christ comes. In the midst of the storm, he comes. They were afraid. But he said to them, It is I. For those of you that have been in the churches or in the church for a while and you've 
studied the I am statements of John, the deity statements, the divine statements, I am, even though it says it is I, basically what he says is I am. If you look at the original text, I am. It's one of the I am statements like, it's me, I am, I, I am God. I am Jesus. I, I think there's divinity that's found within those words. As you read through the passage, as you read through the Gospel of John, and you see how the I am statements, remember as God had disclosed his revelation to Moses and he had said, I am that I am. It is as though Jesus, through John, especially as the Holy Spirit is recording these words, somehow speaks to us and says, each time that he makes the claim that I am, he is speaking of his deity, that he is God. And hey, even his act of coming to them in the method that he chose demonstrated he was God. Because how many people can walk on water? Anybody? Now, hold on. I didn't ask you if they thought they could walk on water. Some of you would start pointing fingers and all of that. How many people actually can walk on water? I admit to you, I can't even swim in water. Connor's proud I didn't tell him that before I got in the baptistry with him this morning or so. I can't even swim, much less walk. It, it somehow denies all aspects of natural law that you would be able to walk on water. Nobody can do that. Nobody except God. And Jesus Christ demonstrates who he is and his identity. He says, I am. I'm here with you and I am God and I am right by you. You can be assured that when you are walking in your storm and the difficulties that come, He's there in the midst of those storms. And he is truly God. And it's in the midst of storms that, yes, he teaches you and he teaches me faith. And he reminds you that you and I can trust him. Listen. How would we know that he ever walked on water if he did not purposely send us through the storm? We would never be able to see the glory and the greatness of God. Not, not to the level we could, except that he sent us through the storm. It's through the storm, it's through the difficulty that you truly begin to see God's glory. They respond with fear, and yes, the other gospel writers indicate that it is because... It, First, they begin, they believe him to be a ghost, an apparition. But there's also a sense within this passage, I think, and the other passages that relate this story, where they also respond, it seems, with like a reverential fear. Reverential fear. The idea that here's God walking on water. And look, when you walk by Jesus and, I mean... You begin to think, oh, it's just Jesus, and, you know, he's my friend, and we're walking, and we're doing... 
Familiarity breeds contempt sometimes. So in each one of these miracles, they're reminded, this is not just Jesus, my buddy. This is Jesus. This is God. And when you're standing by that type of power and by that type of glory, it actually speaks some type of all in your life. I actually believe we need more of that in our churches today. I really believe that we need to see the God who is high on the throne. The God who walks upon water. The God in his greatness and his glory who calls for us to respond with a reverential type of fear and awe and stand before him amazed. He walks upon the water. He's there in the midst of their storm. Whatever you're facing today, whatever you're going through this moment, whatever storm, whatever winds are blowing, know he is there. Jesus was the one that sent them into the storm. Jesus was the one that was there with them in the midst of the storm. And this is a great part here. Jesus was the one that led them out of the storm. Jesus was the one that led them out of the storm. Leon Morris says that when the seas are raging, when the winds are blowing, it is not the time to change ships, but rather it is the time to recognize who your true captain is as he gets you to where he said he would send you. Notice in verse 21. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Then they willingly received him into the boat. Again, I bet they did. If you had been rowing, if you had seen how inadequate you were, if you had noticed how in the world, that there was no way that you were going to get to the other side, and Jesus shows up, and he says, Hey, boys, I'm going to get in the boat with you. I think most of us would say, Jesus, come into the boat. Now say this. Jesus often uses storms and the raging winds and really the raging sea to make us more apt to welcome him into our lives. There are moments he'll put us in a storm where we will be more willing to listen and see what he has for us. They willingly receive him into the boat and get this verse 21 and immediately you could almost underline that word and immediately immediately how in the world could this happen immediately i mean it has taken us all night to get where we are but they had gotten to where they were through their own strength the difference now is that Jesus is there to lead them through the storm. And immediately, the boat was at the land where they were going. Immediately. 
They were where they were going. Just write this down. If Jesus sends you, he will always get you to where he told you to go. If Jesus sends you to a place, listen, he'll always get you there. Never doubt it. Wasn't it Jesus that sent them, said go? The storm came, the difficulties. If Jesus says this is where you need to go, Jesus will always get you there. And Jesus got them there. Immediately. Immediately. Jesus led them through the storm. When you're going through a storm, some of us have been there. When we're going through a storm, it seems like that storm will never pass. You can only focus on the winds for the moment. You can only focus on the sea for the moment. You can only sense your inadequacy. But when the storm is over, when God got you to where he said he would get you, you begin to recognize the power and the glory of God. You, be, you begin to recognize how he was faithful to you the whole time. How he was there. Maybe in different ways, but he was there. You begin to realize how he can deliver you. Well, it is interesting that John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, recorded the, the feeding of the 5,000 plus. And in the midst of that discourse, he recorded the walking on water of Jesus. The two of those miracles combined. Now remember, after he had fed the 5,000 plus, they wanted to make him a king. They were kind of like, hey, he's the new Moses in town. When you combine feeding of the 5,000 plus and the walking on water, it would only further that. Why? Because remember, Moses was the one that had fed the people. Well, we know the Father provided the manna from heaven under Moses' leadership, fed the people. And it was Moses who had stood before the Red Sea. Remember that? And God had demonstrated his salvation whether it was on water or whether it was on land, they had seen the power of God. And Moses led the people, the people of Israel, to deliverance. Well, in the midst of this discourse of John, here you have Jesus Christ proclaimed to be the new Moses. And here he put land and sea, land and water together. And it reminds us, hey, that God's power, that Jesus' power is not limited to the land. It's not limited to the sea. God can deliver you on land and provide for you. Listen to me. Jesus can provide for you in the sea as well. Perhaps those disciples had those little baskets with them. Remember the baskets I talked about? Each one had his little basket in that boat. But even the visual reminder had made them forget the sufficiency of Christ. But when Jesus delivered them, 
he reminded them that, yes, I have the power over land and the sea, wherever we are. I can deliver you. I can bring you out. I can take care of you. But get this, as old as the Moses delivered Israel, I, I'm here and I'm much superior to Moses. And Jesus came to demonstrate his power and to deliver us. Every one of us in this place, we can know that Jesus today has the ability to provide on land, on sea, wherever it is. And for those of us in our lives who are believers, we have sensed that, we've seen it. But may I say to you this before we go. Jesus, the new deliverer, is not only able to provide you physical goods and take care of you through storms, but he is able to take care of you spiritually and bless you. Because each one of these signs remind us that God sent his son, the Lord Jesus, divine, perfect, sinless, and that he came to pay the sacrifice for us to die on the cross, to be resurrected. And listen, he has the power to forgive. He has the power to save. He has the power to make a difference in our lives. If you're not saved, if you've never given your life to Christ, if you would come and trust him today, surrender your heart to him, he'll do that. He'll save you. For those of you in the midst of a storm, Maybe you just need to come and say, Lord, I hear your message and I recommit myself to depending upon you and not, on, not my own strength. Maybe it's today for you to come and reaffirm your life to him. Listen to the way God would speak. And be obedient as he calls.